Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 135, The Gospel and Politics. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am with my favorite licensed therapist, Jesus Light Carpenter, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hey. Hey, Matt. And of course, we do have the most professional. I did mix it up a little bit ago with talented. You're back to professional. Okay, Matt, you might be fine. back to Argyle expert. Just wait for it. Who knows? 2020 is crazy. <laughs> uh, but the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. And hey, guys, before we get rolling here, I did want to let you know one thing. There's a new thing on our website at LoriKrieg.com. We are uh, doing a pre-launch of our book, An Impossible Marriage, and we need your help. So just go there. I want to talk to our guests and really boost his stuff. But I want to just talk about go to LoriKrieg.com or ImpossibleMarriage.com. We want you guys to be a part of the launch team. But today we're talking politics because that's what everyone loves to talk about. No, they don't. I think it's 64% of people. Uh, I have the statistic a little lower on my script here, but it's about 64% of people right now are scared uh, to share their political beliefs. Why? Why could that be? I don't know. I don't notice any tension, um, but I am super excited to have someone who can help us walk that tension of what we believe and how we can walk it out. And it is with the AND campaigns. And AND is either A-N-D or ampersand. I don't know. Either one. It, does, it doesn't matter. It works. But AND campaign's chief strategist and co-author of Compassion and Conviction, the AND campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement, Michael Ware. Michael, welcome. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Man, guys, if you do not know who Michael is, he is chief strategist of the AND campaign and founder of Public Square Strategies, LLC. He's also the author of Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America, and the author of this book, Compassion and Conviction, and I can't wait to dive into it. But I have, Michael, a few questions about this election. So does everyone. As we were joking before we hit record, I'm like, please help me vote because I don't know. (laughs) Um, But we would like to get to know you before we dive into those hearty and heady questions. Just a little bit lighter for a hot second by asking you our question of the week from last week, which is, where do you go to be alone with Jesus? Is it a spot in your house to go outside? There is a lot of answers from our listeners, but Michael, I want to start with you, man. Yeah, so there is a um, uh, McLean Botanical Gardens about 15 minutes from my house, and uh, it hasn't always been my place, but over the last few months, especially with COVID and, and sort of being, you know, to, to get out in nature has just been more powerful than usual. And uh, so that's been great. I have a 20 month old daughter who um, loves when you read to her. So I took her out to the park last Sunday and I swear it was the cutest thing. She sat by the park bench as I read for 40 minutes out loud. It was like (laughs) the best experience I've had as a dad so far. So yeah, the McLean Botanical Gardens uh, has has been the spot uh, lately. I love that so much. It's so crazy. And you're like, I'm bracing a little nerd. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. Who, who doesn't know what other people look like? Yeah, yes. exactly. I, we have a 14 month or same thing. He's just like, oh, put your mask on, mom, whatever. This is my life yeah. now. 
Oh, man. Matt Krieg, I'm going to punt to you. Which audience member's answer stood out to you? Yeah, I really liked what Joseph said. So probably the best place I like to spend time with God, my favorite places, I live uh, in a downtown area by a river, the Grand River in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there's a bridge on a trail called the Oxford Trail that goes right over the river. And I just like to sit right in the middle, watch the water and just kind of tip my head back and try to listen for the voice of God. And it's just, I don't know, just really calming to have that that white noise of the uh, of the river and to have uh, the beautiful scenery uh, you can kind of see as I'm facing north of the downtown area. That's yeah, just uh, a good place for me. And I really choose this because, A, I love the water, being by the water. It's just the, the serene like place of you get the waves and, and the nature and all that kind of stuff. But it just seems like in West Michigan, you you have to have some level of affinity for the water. And it's just such a place of beauty that God is very creative in, in, in how he formed it. And so, by the water. Steve. Uh, yeah, I liked what Casey said. My favorite spot to get alone with Jesus would be in the everyday drives I have, whether it be going to work or the store. And at times I'll even turn off my music and it's just Jesus and me. Why did you like the no music? Are you like the music man? <laughs> uh, no, I mean like because there's so much of it in oh, my everyday, yeah. it's kind of nice sometimes That's to turn it off. Um, but yeah, I, when I can, I drive to a cemetery that's near our house. And Why haven't we talked about this yet? It's so beautiful and serene and there's areas where there's a lot of like shade trees and I can just park under a tree and I don't have a lot of traffic unless somebody's having a funeral on it, but that's never happened to me. So anyway, I don't go there every day or all the time, but when I feel like I just, I need some peace time, that's where I go. I love it. Yeah. I appreciated so many of your listener, you listeners' responses that talked about nature, which there's allusion to that everywhere, uh, including in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kimberly said this. Hey, I'm Kimberly, and I'm from the UK. And my favorite place to hang out with Jesus is just anywhere in nature, really. But what I found I've enjoyed most recently is just sitting under a tree in a park. Um, there could be other people around and, you know, just hearing, just hearing the wind rustle through the leaves and birdsong and, and even dogs and, and children playing nearby. That's what really settles my spirit. And it's my favorite place to hear from the Lord and to just spend time with him. I, um, we've talked on this podcast about how we can't always do that. And I actually like Honestly, one of my favorite places is on my couch, just closing my eyes and picturing something like South Lake Tahoe or just places I really like to go. And I just close my eyes and I hang out there with Jesus. And so I guess any natural place, I just go there in my mind. But usually it physically it's on on our on our couch before the kids wake up, which today was 530 a.m. And thankfully I woke up at four. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm doing great. Okay, Michael. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone, every day, even all the Republicans and all the Democrats. And if you're listening outside of the United States, whatever opposing viewpoint. Um, So before we dive deeply into that, we want to hear some of your gospel journey. If the gospel is more love than I imagine, yet more sinful than I believe. Thank you, Tim Keller. When was the gospel first good news for you and how is it still? Yeah, so um, I 
I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and grew up in uh, uh, a big Italian Catholic family. Uh, and Catholicism kind of set the backdrop for our lives. A lot of fish fries, a lot of uh, big family dinners, that kind of thing. Um, wasn't the most theologically uh, uh, active or interested family. Uh, I, when I was writing my first book, I asked my mother, about uh, sort of uh, the role religion played in her eyes in in uh, in in her family growing up, and she said uh, it was like brushing your teeth. You just did it, which is not <laughs> the most rousing call to faith. Um, when I was fifteen, uh, my sister had become a Christian a few years before I did, um, and. Long story short, uh, I now had an evangelist in the room next door. Um, and so she was always trying to talk through scripture with me. And um, at, at one point, she got me to go to her uh, youth group at, at her church. And uh, uh, I went to the youth group, hated it. Uh, it seemed like everyone had uh, knew each other already. And of course they did. It seemed like they all talked a different way and they kind of did. <laughs> um, but on my way out, there was a volunteer who was handing out tracts of Romans, just Romans, no uh, commentary, no, um, it was just Romans. And I took it home and uh, read it and it changed my life. Hmm. Um, I, my sister was dropping me off from, uh, I think so, a rehearsal uh, or school and uh, three days later, and I told her I'd given my life to Christ. And, um, and so, yeah, that changed everything for me um, and uh, sent me on a, a pretty incredible journey. I mean, I mean, I think I, at first I thought um, I had to become a pastor, go to seminary. You know, when you become a Christian, you just want to do like the most Christian thing. Thankfully I had a pastor in my life who was like, Michael, you know, look around, there are Christians who aren't pastors. And I, I thought that was a good observation. Uh, and so the vocational question that's sort of got in my life is, uh, what does it mean to be faithful in public things? And and that's been uh, something that's that stuck with me and, and obviously guided a lot of uh, sort of my uh, my, my whole life, but also my, my professional, uh, you know, work and trajectory from there. That's so great. So, and campaign, you know, did you start it? How did, how did that arise? Like I hear it coming from your gospel story. Uh, yeah. So it was actually a, a, a moment of synergy. Um, the and campaign was founded by, uh, it's, uh, president Justin Gibney, uh, Show Baraka, who's a Christian artist, and, and uh, Angel Maldonado, who's a pastor in Atlanta, they founded the organization. Um, I met Justin probably in 2015, 2016, uh, through some mutual friends, and uh, we, we, uh, we're, we're both pr pretty similar people, despite different backgrounds coming from different regions of the country, um, some different experiences. But we shared this conviction uh, that uh, that politics is important, but not ultimate. We shared this experience of trying to navigate uh, working in politics while uh, holding on to your convictions and having integrity. Um, and we actually were in a program. I was I was working to found my own organization, um, and I, I've spent a lot of time telling others, uh, you know, we actually need Christians working together. 
and being less sort of holding uh, less tightly to sort of their own visions and their own kingdoms and actually finding ways to work together. And then all of a sudden, uh, I had to make that choice myself. And uh, and uh, uh, Justin and I decided to kind of merge efforts and I was invited into the AMP campaign. So I actually hit my two year mark um, just at the beginning of this month. And so I, I joined AND Campaign. It's been, uh, you know, AND Campaign is a, a, a Christian civic organization that works to uh, equip Christians to disrupt our politics with the um, with the uh, conviction and compassion of Jesus Christ. And, and that's the work that I've been involved in. And and uh, our community is, is, is growing and it's special. And, uh, um, and, and the book is really an expression of that work, uh, a milestone of sort of where we are in this moment. The book and the and campaign in general, when I like follow you guys and I haven't read it all, I've been reading through it and I'm skimming through it right now, which it's great. And I just love from what I understand, you guys are really trying to hold intention. Like it doesn't have to be, I'm against abortion and I'm against women. It can be, can we hold those things in tension? How can we love and care for moms, but also, you know, care for babies and life, you know, at the point of conception. So I really appreciate how you guys do that. This question just popped in my head because it just, it sounds like it came from even the origin story of your addition into and is people will say we need as believers to be one. So they'll look at John 17. We need to be unified. And so how do you balance, as you are a tension balancing place, like trying to teach and equip the church, how do you balance that need for unity and yet also a need to stand for something? Yeah, I mean, so right, I think it's about, um, and this, this is, you know, a, a gospel distinction, making sure you're, you're really clear about uh, uh, what are ultimate things and what are not. I, I mean, when... when the, the, the biblical call for unity is not saying we all have to work the same jobs. We all have to uh, love the same music. Um, it's that we're one in Jesus. Uh, and that and that unity allows for great sort of uh, a flexibility and various sort of expressions in other areas of life, including our politics. Um, what's difficult right now is that politics has become so saturating politics own claim as ultimate its false claim as being ultimate has actually crept into how we view politics as christians um and, and that's a that's a difficult place to be now again political questions are really important especially when they implicate uh, uh the welfare of our our neighbors and and uh, uh and uh those who are those who are suffering. Um, uh, but the unity that we have is that we can have different political expressions. We can belong to different political parties uh, and still worship the same savior and still hold to biblical principles um, that transcend our partisan affiliation or whatever sort of uh, political ideology we, we might, uh, we might think is closest to, um, you know, a, a, a good fit for our values. Hmm. So really trying to balance and figure out what's ultimate, what are, you know, I think I've, I've been having those sorts of conversations for years now, just being in the sexuality conversation, 
you know, on marriage, people, it, it ends up being like, okay, is that a primary or a secondary issue? And yeah. so where do we really, you know, how, how do we balance that? Is, is that just a discernment issue? Or do you feel like there is right and wrong when it comes to, you know, like abortion? For some people, that is not a primary issue. For some believers, that is not a primary issue. But immigration no. is a primary issue. So do you guys have like a list I'm like totally off the script now. I'm just care about this. Do you guys have a list of like, these are primary issues Christians should care about? Yeah. So we have a, we have a few resources. We have um, uh, a 2020 statement uh, that addresses both political sides that, um, that challenges both political sides that lifts up some of the issues that we think are important in this particular moment. If it was a 2016 statement or a 2024 statement, it might look somewhat different. Um, but, but that statement is a good reflection of uh, issues we think are uh, important. I'd also, uh, you know, compassion and conviction goes over a, an array of issues that we think um, the gospel speaks to. But I think sort of the core of your question is, um, it's important to, um, to, to sort of, disentangle the theology of an issue from uh, a political stance. That's not to say that they're completely, uh, our theology should inform our politics, but the way that we apply our theology to politics is a prudential matter. And so, for instance, it is, there are some people who um, uh, would say that the way, um, let's take divorce, for instance, just uh, uh, would say that the Bible is relatively clear on divorce, that outside of a pretty, uh, uh, especially compared to culture, a pretty narrow set of circumstances, Christians are not to uh, get divorced. That is a different question than whether the law should mandate and, and uh, in uh, the terms that we believe theologically apply to Christians and the church, mandate those restrictions on the general public. That is a potential matter upon which Christians can, uh, di can disagree, even Christians who agree on the theology. And so one of the ways that we could sort of um, maintain unity in ultimate things uh, and allow for prudential discernment uh, in politics is, is to is to recognize the difference there, <laughs> to, to recognize that it's not sort of a one-to-one -one, uh, equation uh, all of the time, while of course never um, uh, uh, never allowing for a, a, a disaggregation or, or a sort of a disassociation of our faith from our politics. Hmm. So as, as someone who works one-on-one, -on -one, with people, you know, I'm a, I'm a counselor. And so I, I don't speak often in these kind of political kind of broad term. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm working with one person. I want to know how, how theology affects one life. Um, mm. You know, and, and I look at, at, let's say this fall's election, the presidential election, and I see like individuals who, based on the theology that I would, I would follow for my life, they, they just don't, don't fit the bill very well for like, I'm like, just being honest of all the millions of people we had to choose from. These are the two. And, and that is a hard place for me to see like, man, it, it feels almost, almost pointless. Almost like, why should I even vote? Because either way, it's like, I'm, I'm almost having to 
kill part of myself and my belief system. Yeah. And, and, and I know mm-hmm. there's, there's still like, yeah, the importance of engaging, you know, in, in these kind of societal realms and everything. But, but what would you say to someone like me who, is, yeah. who, who finds it bordering on distasteful to, to have to pick a side, you know, in, yeah. in this? It's a great question. Um, so the first thing I'd say is that uh, none of this is a mystery to Jesus. Uh, pol- politics is not like the one area of life in which, uh, you know, you go behind the the curtain at the voting booth. And when you come out, you got to like tell Jesus like, oh, man, uh, you should have seen the decision I had to make in there. Like, Jesus gets it. Um, as Christians in all of life, we are not responsible for the outcome of things that happen. We're to steward the influence and responsibility that we have in the most faithful way that we know how. Um, so that would be the first thing I'd say. The, the, the second thing I'd say is um, I, I understand um, the frustration with uh, the political choices uh, that, 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 that sometimes are in front of us. Um, I do think it's important to say, you know, and right, if I'm talking to political actors, I'm not, this is not my point of emphasis. Um, but if I'm talking to the individual, you know, one thing I, I, I want to say is, you know, the state of our politics is a reflection of the state of our souls. Like our, our politics is the way it is for, for a reason. And it's not just the lobbyists. It's not just they're responding to incentives that we as voters put into the system. Now that isn't just us as an individual. We're just again, we're just one one as as a citizen. We're just one voice in the overall system. But what it does mean, it's like here's a great example. People complain about negative a- advertising, but the research is really clear. Negative advertising is what uh, attack ads are. What voters respond to, policy oriented ads, positive ads, extolling the, you know the. the uh, the, the policy initiatives of candidates just aren't as interesting to us. We, we don't like to pay attention to those. Um, but attack ads that put devil horns on the political opponent or, or dig up dirt from their past, that, that's, what, that's what really riles us up. And so like, p- part of it is, is asking, you, you, what incentives and disincentives have, have I been putting into the system as an individual? In what way is the state of our politics a reflection of um, the, the kind of engagement I, I'm looking for? And then the third thing I'd say, and th- this is, um, look, when you register for a political party or when you, uh, when you vote for a candidate, there's no like small print that says, I hereby sign over my conscience to every jot and tittle of the party platform or this candidate's position. A, a vote is always a choice between imperfect candidates. And Jesus understands that. I think we need to let go of some of the mer- moral burden we feel. Um, some of the moral burden we feel is misplaced. The moral b- burden we should feel is, uh, I want to steward my vote in a way that uh, best leads to the flourishing of my neighbors and my community, given the choices we have. Mm. So if you look at the candidates and you simply cannot distinguish 
any difference between them, that it, it's sort of a neutral, neutral question that no matter who gets in uh, uh, society, my neighbors with, a, you know, they're strong in Christian teaching. The Catholics call it a preferential option for the poor, but uh, in various Protestant traditions, there, there's the idea that, um, that we ought to pay attention in particular to those who are um, vulnerable, those who are uh, disinherited, as uh, Howard Thurman called them. If you think it's completely neutral on those kinds of questions, um, then, then maybe maybe the best thing is to not to vote. I I doubt that that's um, that's 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 the case often, persistently, and for every Christian. That as an individual, you may say, you know, based on my experiences, the passions that God has given me. I can't make a vote in this race. By the way, that doesn't mean you can't vote in leave leave the that race unchecked and vote down ballot. Um, but but th- that would if I was talking to you across you know a, a, a couple cups of coffee, I'd say relieve yourself of some of that moral burden. Um, it, Jesus knows your heart. You can vote for a candidate and oppose positions that they hold on certain issues, and. Jesus understands that that you didn't you didn't nominate those those two people to to lead their parties. That didn't happen, sort of on your on your decision making process. The decision you were handed was was how do I vote in a way uh, that I think is is going to uh, influence this election uh, for the good of my neighbors. That's really helpful, and I'm just thinking of Jesus when they asked him, you know, do we do we give our the coins He's like give to Caesar what is Caesar, and I. I guess I was listening to it on the Bible app the other day, and it might have just been the narrator's voice. But I was like, Jesus is so chill about it. And yes. it just so it might have <laughs> been the narrator is biased in reading it. But it just we have made our president's ultimate. We have made yeah. politics ultimate. It's a good thing. It's not an ultimate thing. And I get it. We're looking for a king in our heart. We're looking for someone who will lead us perfectly. But it is not someone on earth. That is, this, We are not part of this world. But the answer is neither to go, uh, nothing. It's not nothing, but it's right. not everything. So right. how can we live in that tension knowing that the kingdom of God is the ultimate kingdom, but then to steward the votes that he gives us. Yeah, that's right. So I've noticed you guys on the socials have been rallying the troops to speak up. So it was, I said 64% of us are scared to share our political yeah. beliefs. It's 62, but it's right there. Um, but you guys are saying, speak up. Why should we? Why should we speak up about our political beliefs? Because people are mean. Yeah, I mean, so, right, uh, uh, what we're not saying is speak up all the time in every situation. What? <laughs> you know? I don't know anyone you know? doing that. I don't, so, know. So, I don't know what you're saying. You know, I, I, it's a, this is another sort of burden thing I feel. I have people asking me at my events all the time. You know, I, I have this uncle. Every time I bring up politics, oh, yeah. we get into a huge fight. People leave angry. I said, you, you know, maybe it's best not to talk to that uncle about politics. Like, like maybe, maybe you just... Uh, know in your spirit that this is not going to be a productive thing to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, but there's this narrative that like, if you aren't starting up a fight about politics, then you're somehow not, uh, not contributing. I, I think what we do feel is uh, Christians who are seeking to think and act Christianly in politics are a gift to society. Um, that 
the what Jesus has to offer, what the faith has to offer, uh, is uh, a good and true thing that society needs. Uh, and so uh, we want believers to represent themselves in the public square as a matter of their faith and as a, a living out of the fact that God has placed us in a country and in a time where we are born as citizens uh, in this country, that there is uh, we do not choose to have political responsibility. That is something that we have just by virtue of the fact that we were born here. And so that influence is something that we can't, uh, th that we don't ask for. It's something that we either steward in a, in a good way or that we neglect. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we ask Christians to be informed. That's why we wrote the book. That's why our organization exists. We don't expect uh, or think it's really a good idea for every Christian to, um, uh, like, again, I want to relieve the burden from people feeling like the choice is to be disengaged from politics, or I need to spend all my time reading every news article, volunteering for 30 hours at the local party headquarters. That, that's not the choice most of us face. If politics is not your vocation, if you don't feel a specific calling there, then it's just about assessing your time, assessing, you know, do, do you have a background in education? Uh, I, I'm adopted. And so uh, adoption, the child welfare system is important to me. I weigh it differently when I'm thinking about political decisions I have to make. I am on the National Board of Bethany Christian Services. That's a, a living out of an experience that God has given me. There are other issues where I might think they're important, but I don't engage because I don't have the expertise. I don't have uh, I don't have personal experiences where where they really fuel my life. I may give to other organizations that work on those issues because those passions are on their hearts. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I would just encourage um, Christians to, to recognize that they have a duty to their neighbors and that there is great flexibility in how they're faithful in, in responding to that duty in the civic and political space. That's helpful. So you guys, um, you posted at least one thing, and I know in your book you at least bring up a couple scenarios regarding the LGBT conversation, which speaking of weighing it differently, I weigh that one differently uh, just because it is personal uh, to my life and our life. Um, but you guys said this post when uh, there's a new Supreme Court law passed, which a lot of Christians were confused. They did not know how to feel. So Christians yeah. who hold to a traditional, orthodox, historical, biblical view of marriage and sexuality, specifically about marriage, that it's between a man and a woman, one flesh union for life. So people who believe that didn't know how to feel about that, what happened. And so I think you guys were good. You articulated it well. So you guys said this, and campaign supports both religious liberty and the extension of federal protection to LGBT employees. So yes to re religious liberty yes to protection of LGBT employees. While the court acknowledged protections for religious freedoms, there's still a great deal of uncertainty that needs to be resolved legislatively. True. All the lawyers I talked to, they're like, they said just about the same thing you said. Friends of mine who are working, you know, in the freedom, fairness for all who tried to tack that on. Uh, and your caption was, because we truly believe you can disagree with your neighbor and still love and protect them. Help us understand that, because, again, in this polarized society that we can't shut up talking about, but it is true, it feels like, okay, I'm either historical, orthodox, biblical marriage, 
or I'm homophobic. So can you help us? Why were you guys pro LGBT rights while also disagreeing with same-sex marriage? How is that yeah, possible? I mean, we, we just fundamentally reject that false dichotomy. Right. <laughs> we, we, we just, so it's, it's important to, uh, you know, we don't think that uh, a supp- supporting um, the fact that a um, uh, person who identifies as LGBT shouldn't be able to uh, be fired from their retail job um, because they're, uh, they're, they're the manager of that local store feels a certain way where if they worked at the store down the street, uh, they want to have the problem. We don't feel like opposing that is in contradiction to our theology. We believe it's in line with, with our theology that, 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 that uh, in the civic space and shared space, um, that they, it's it's not it's not loving it's not just uh, to have people's employment depend on something like that. We also don't think that LGBT rights that the uh, progression of LGBT rights like workplace protections um, uh, should uh, eradicate um, or be used to push uh, people who hold the historic orthodox position from public life. And so th- that's the it's a tension because it's a tension in our society. Right. Um, and that's with all of Ant Campaign's positions. The, the, the tension is because society tells us that social justice and moral order don't belong together, mm-hmm. that uh, truth and love don't belong together. Um, we say, no, actually, the, the gospel actually is, is both and. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all of this. Um, and obviously, you know, there are... Um, uh, uh, d- different ways of, of implementing that understanding. Uh, but, 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 uh, but we believe that's the question. How do we build a society where uh, folks, regardless of how they identify, uh, have, have some sense of, of uh, security and dignity um, while also allowing for uh, religious institutions and religious people to uh, be a part of uh, American public life, just like anybody else. Which for those of you who maybe are like just knee jerk reacting to that as far as like, no, I, why, wait, why should I be able to say you can, you know, not get fired from your job, et cetera. What's the biblical support? Good Samaritan guys. Uh, and Jesus literally, literally everywhere. And I don't want to say that in a patronizing way, like literally Jesus though, like he hung out with the, the sinners so much. He was called a sinner. Like they're like, you're a drunkard and a sinner. And then Romans two, four, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I talked about it in two weeks in our Q two weeks ago at our Q and a first Corinthians five, when I told you not to associate with people, with, uh, people who engage in lots of sins, including sexual, I, it was not those who are unbelievers, but those who are believers. And so yeah. guys, there's, it's, all over the gospels it's just for some reason this conversation this issue there's been this like honestly i think it's a ew factor that's like been the biggest one that has like perpetuated i won't say homophobia because that just turns people's ears off but just this like oh no that's a bad that's a bad sin oh sure you're sleeping with your boyfriend before marriage that's fine for sure you should have protections oh you had a baby at 15 totally fine oh you're even doing drugs well you're working toward jesus i don't understand why we have a sin scale when it comes to this one we say the ground is level at the foot of the cross that's a pack of lies often when it comes to this conversation. So just want to put that out there. If we have a knee-jerk reaction of like, wait, no, they shouldn't be protected. Yes, they should. Because while you were dead in your sin, before you confessed and repented, Christ died for you. So 
let's protect and love and yeah but i get yeah. the tension yes so I, I well michael i mean you i feel like you 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 helped me out a lot with with your answer to my question earlier just with what do i do with some of the, just the blah about the, yeah. the candidates that, that are kind of set before us and you know aside from taking off some of that kind of pressure to to choose perfectly or whatever like Aside from that, what are a couple of ways that the believers can approach their their civic right to to vote um, and and do it more responsibly and with the gospel in mind? Yeah, it's a great question. A, a, a few things. Um, one is uh, they can be attentive to the the inputs they're receiving and what they're putting out there. So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about sort of 21st century spiritual disciplines for, uh, you know, this, this current sort of political moment. Um, and actually my friend, Caitlin Scheiss has written a book, um, the liturgy of politics that, uh, comes out, comes out soon. I, I, awesome. I wrote the forward for it that, 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 um, that, that she touches on this, but, you know, so for instance, um, or are you reading only news that seems to aff affirm you and sort of um, make you more certain about your political positions or uh, does your, does your news intake and the political conversations you have uh, in your community, uh, do they make you, question uh your political because let me tell you most of the political discussions we have most of those that are in the news involve uh valid viewpoints that have some validity otherwise we would have solved <laughs> these debates by now like the political uh, debates that we don't have <laughs> are the, are the ones that uh are straightforward if you're debating something, it's because your opponent has some kind of a point to make. Um, and so, so, so that would be a, a key thing. Uh, try and read and talk and, and receive information, be listening to communities and, and, and people that, that, that challenge you wherever you are on the political spectrum. Hmm. Um, the, the second thing I'd say, and I kind of referred to it earlier is, um, you know, don't feel like you have to be an expert in everything. That's not the, um, that's not what citizenship entails. Um, but uh, think about what experiences God has given you. Think about and ask questions about what your immediate community needs, the, the city where you live, the location where you live, and how politics speaks to those or addresses those needs. Um, and consider those when you vote. Consider those when you act. That it's not just about sort of your uh, personal interest. It's not just about sort of, um, it's not just about sort of your, your personal preferences. But actually as Christians, yeah, there's a call to bear one another's burdens. Um, there's a call to actually bring into politics not just sort of our, our own narrow perspective, but to um, consider the perspectives of others and allow, especially brothers and sisters, but also those who are not Christians, um, uh, to influence uh, how we think about politics. Um, and so th those are kind of, I think, good places to start. I, I think third, you know, 
politics, I think, has increasingly become in our minds an individualistic endeavor because we live in an increasingly individualistic culture. Um, politics is never going to be individualistic. It's one of the big barriers that people have to political participation because they, they figure in business, in other areas of life, the inputs and the outputs are quite clear. Like I put in a nickel and I get the gumball. <laughs> like I, I make this investment and, and this sort of comes out the other end. In politics, you just never know whether your action is the one that made the difference. <laughs> um, I, I would urge us to be comfortable with that. I would urge us to think about politics as something that we do as a community, um, as something that you do with your friends and with those who are like-minded around you that you could act together with others. This includes supporting uh, Christian organizations or uh, advocacy organizations that where your values line up uh, on an issue or on a set of issues that you don't have to do this all on your own. Um, that uh, if you care about sort of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, access to water in regions of the world where they don't have it. Uh, you don't have to drill. Uh, you, you don't have to drill a well yourself. <laughs> you could give money and volunteer to organizations that drill wells. You can give money and volunteer to politicians uh, and advocacy organizations that support uh, support increasing access to water. Uh, through governmental efforts, uh, that, that you don't need to take on the burden of sort of being the primary actor when it comes to political, uh, political engagement. Hmm. I love that. And it's so funny how even in me, when you said that second one, there's so many good points in there. But when you talked about being willing to listen to the other side, that's the opposite of what's happening right now. Yeah. But if... Yeah. Our political candidate is our God, and they are the savior from this COVID crisis and all the other issues. We're not going to be willing to listen. But if this is just our civic duty and God is going to use who he's going to use, but we're about advancing the kingdom of God through the, his bride, the church, we're going to be willing to listen. I just, again, through, if you listen through the, both those lens, lenses, if we're going to be, if we're willing to listen to what you said earlier, just like, it's not nothing, it's not ultimate. Um, yeah. Then I think, I don't know, maybe we can chill a little bit if we remember God is sovereign. Yes. Amen. Um, on that note, Michael, will you lead us out with a prayer? Will you pray over politics, please? Because we need some help. Yeah, I, I'd love to. I'd love to. Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk about um, things that matter to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to live uh, in this time and in the places where we live, where you've placed us, where we've uh, been called to follow you and to be faithful to you and to fear no evil. Um, help us to have... Uh, a joyful confidence when it comes to these questions, not a sense of embattlement, not a sense of scarcity, mm. not a sense of insecurity, but yeah. confidence in you, yep. hope in you. And then allow us to carry that hope 
into, into politics, into whatever area of life we find ourselves in. We don't find our hope in those places. We find our hope in you. And that hope opens up all kinds of possibilities in your economy. And so we ask you to be open to those possibilities. We ask you to be open to what you are calling us to. We ask you to give us humility and, gr- and grace. We ask you to help us to be uh, to hold our political views uh, 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 lightly and to hold you closely. Mm-hmm. Now, we're so grateful for what you're doing in our lives. So grateful you're in control and we're not. And, and we're, we're thankful for what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, Michael, thank you so much for your heart and your mind and for writing this book that we really need right now. Hey, thank you so much. It was great being on the show. Awesome. All right, guys, go. Get it. Get compassion and conviction and follow and campaign. You just look up ampersand campaign on all the things. It's really it's it's they're pretty refreshing as far as like not sitting in one of the polarities and just sitting there. Um, but again, also while you're clicking around, guys, impossiblemarriage.com. I just so excited. It's so pretty. The site's so pretty. And uh, we would love for you guys to join our launch team. So go apply and you're going to get some things like an additional podcast. Steve's going to interview us and you're also going to get immediately, well, when you get approved into the team, you will get the first two chapters of our book on the audio. But please go do it and um, share it with everybody. And then That would be killer because people have asked us if we're on Audible. We're not that cool yet. We need to have a lot of people care about this book and then Audible will ask us. So if you want it on Audible, share this with your friends. Okay, question of the week for next week. When you're feeling lonely, which if you're listening to that, you're like, oh, I don't want to be the one to admit that I feel lonely. We all feel lonely sometimes, especially now. So I just want to put that out there. I can feel lonely and insecure and all these things. So... When you feel lonely, what is something helpful that you do? What's actually like, this actually is a good thing I do when I feel lonely. This is a vulnerable one. I don't think we're going to get as many answers as the one where we hang out with Jesus. Although that wasn't nothing. But I want to hear. I want to hear. So hit us up on the old Instagram and Facebook mostly. Find Lori Krieg, K-R-I-E-G. Thank you again to Michael Ware. Wasn't he great? I really like actually learned something. Yeah about politics and enjoyed a political conversation. I wasn't cringing, so I'm so thankful to him. But go check out and campaign and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. 